Hello and welcome back to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people living in and around the Salish Sea. I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and it's my pleasure to get to sit down in one-on-one conversations with people to hear the stories that brought them to this magical little part of the world we live in, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. This episode you're about to hear is part of a special series I'm doing called Welcome Home. As you all know, the world has changed quite a lot in the last two and a half years, and so has the little island I live on that goes by the name of Pender. Many people have decided to make a big change in their lives and move to this beautiful little part of the world, and I thought that this would be a great opportunity to get to meet some of them. This time around, we're going to be hearing from new resident to the island, David Ledbetter. David moved here in early 2021 with his wife, Deanna, after he retired from his career with an excavating company in the Lower Mainland. In this interview, you're going to get to hear David speak about how he was born and raised in Calgary and eventually moved to the Fraser Valley in the mid-70s, and how at a Halloween party he met his future wife, Deanna. The two of them stayed in that area for decades, raised their two sons there, and now all four have pooled their resources and are co-owners of the property on Pender Island. David's also going to talk about the pleasure that he receives from doing kayaking on the ocean since he's moved to the island, and also he's going to tell us about the amazing story about he and his wife's first home that was a reconstructed CPR train station. All that and more in a great little interview with a pretty fantastic guy. As always, it was a really great treat to get to sit down and hear about someone's life. David did me the pleasure of coming over to my home in the summertime and we did this recording, which I'm very happy to put out and... I hope you enjoy it as well, too. I've got a lot more interviews coming up in the near future here, so if you'd like to stay up to date with what's going on with the new interviews as they come out, you can follow me on Twitter at StoriesBrought, or you can look up the stories that brought you here on Twitter. Also, there's a Facebook group called The Stories That Brought You Here, Dash Pender Island. And also, now I have a YouTube channel where you can listen to the interviews on YouTube. So the name of the YouTube channel is, of course, The Stories That Brought You Here. Lots of different ways to listen. You can listen on Spotify. You can listen on Google Podcasts. All sorts of various ways to listen to this podcast if you like what you hear. All right, now that that's all out of the way, it's my time to say first a little music and then my interview with David Ledbetter. your introduction to the Gulf Islands? Well, uh, two introductions, really. When uh, my girlfriend and I, who is now my wife, we took a a weekend away together to Salt Spring. We stayed in a bed and breakfast there, and a big exciting event at that time was we went out for a little canoe paddle and tipped the canoe over and (laughs) had a little struggle back to shore, and she's terrible with with, uh, swimming, so it was a bit of a panic. And the second introduction was when we were looking for a piece of property to buy, her cousin suggested that we try Pender Island. He'd been here before. And so we came over for a day, basically. We had to drive around the island and had a picnic at Thieves Bay, attended the, I guess it's a fall festival that they have here. I think it was October that we were here. and. To be honest, we weren't really overly impressed with the island. Loved the fall fair, though. Loved the idea and the, the community feeling that it had. 
But then we kind of shelved it and put it on the back burner and continued to look for property elsewhere, specifically in the interior, Oliver, Soyuz, Penticton, etc. cetera. Uh, but came back here uh, because we couldn't find anything that, you know, set us on fire in the interior. <laughs> Bad choice of words. So we came back and uh, did some real estate search and found a property. So the main reason was the financial possibility making itself available. Well, there's, there's obviously there's lots of things that come into play, but yeah, the, the, the financial part was important, but also the idea of, uh, I think I mentioned this to you before, the idea of living in the Gulf islands is like a dream. Uh, being a prairie boy from Calgary, beautiful BC always seemed like the mountains and the ocean and, Taking a ferry from Vancouver to Vancouver Island, you sail through the islands and you see all that fantastic beauty, and you think how mu- how nice it must be to live here. So, forty years later, I'm thinking, well, maybe we could live on the islands. Maybe it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so, how long has it been since you've uh, moved here exactly? I've been here for a year and a couple of months. Not okay. long. Yeah, no, no doubt. And so um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the uh, process of uh, finding a place and the one you chose. And Well, the, the, the process was surprisingly short and blunt because it's difficult to get from Vancouver to here and spend any amount of time searching for properties. The ferry system being what it is, I can't tell you how many. Well, I think three times we came over for a day trip and thought, oh, we've got the whole day to look at property. Well, it turns into like three hours because the ferry, we got to get back an hour and ahead of the ferry sailing. So it really makes it a short period of time. As I said, we came over a few times for day trips. We stayed one time overnight, stayed at the woods, so that it gave us more opportunity to look at properties. And... um my wife has a friend who's a realtor, so she set us up with with uh, viewings and even came over for one one day. And it was kind of difficult to get to the places, meet with a realtor, have a tour through it, and uh, again, get back to the ferry on time. So it was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, that's funny. Don't even really think about that, right? You think... Uh, no, yeah. no. And it's the same when our friends come to visit I'm sure they come here with the idea that, oh, we've got a whole a day or two days, but the ferry timing is always uh, an issue. Yeah, yeah. I think we all know about the uh, the difficulties of the ferry schedule. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, that's probably part of what makes the culture here what it is, because it is so difficult. It turns a lot of people off. And all the better for us. Yeah, totally. And totally. That was actually the first thing or one of the first things I noticed about how this island operates is that if you're in any small town in Canada on, on the side of a highway, you've got drive through traffic, you have big rigs, you have people passing through and people are just on their way to other places where here, this is your destination, right? Exactly. And so yeah. It, yeah, it totally changes how the uh, culture of the island is. Mm-hmm. But okay, so you found uh, found a place that uh, that suited what you were looking for, right? We we found a, a couple of places, and the one that we ended up uh, deciding on uh, ticked enough of the boxes uh, financially and what it offered 
uh, that, that we could move right in as opposed to having to do an immediate uh, renovation or cleanup. Uh, and it was, I think that it was a real easy decision for us because we had been looking elsewhere for so long and there's a certain amount of momentum built up. We would just want to make a decision. We want to go, go, go. And this ticked enough of the boxes, so sign on the line. Okay. All right. So was it uh, was it exciting? Was it nerve-wracking? Was it a relief? All those things or what? Well, it was, um, it was very subtle. Yeah, it was great that we made the decision and we got the property, but there was no major immediate change in lifestyle or even outlook because, as you know, with real estate, there's a certain amount of time spent with the paperwork and the closing date. And then, of course, the owner asked if he could rent back for three months. So we had like four or five months between the time we chose, decided to buy and the time we moved. So in a way, it was kind of like um, nothing's happening, like a phony move. Sure, we signed the papers, the bank's all done, and now we just sit and wait. So it was kind of weird in that respect. For me, it hit me when I brought a trailer load of personal belongings over to the island on February 27th, which is my birthday. And it was a gorgeous, gorgeous day. I parked and looked out the ocean at uh, Hope Bay, and I thought, this is beautiful. This is, this is it. This is great. So that's when it really hit me. And we still had another week of uh, moving and cleaning, and then we were in. And also kind of officially retired at that time, too. So gone from working 50 or 55 hours a week to not working. Oh, okay. Well, let's jump into there. What were you uh, doing as a career? And, and uh, I, I worked in construction, ran equipment, and we, the company I worked for installed septic systems, as well as other excavating duties. And it was a small company, myself, the boss, and occasionally one or two other employees. So there was no shortage of hours to work and uh, a lot of responsibility, too. So that was a, a full-time, full-time job. And to switch to retirement was a little weird, a little weird. So then shortly after moving here, uh, I happened to notice an ad on online Poets Cove looking for a driver slash maintenance. I thought, I'll give that a try because I've got time on my hands and uh, landed a little part-time job there. And that's where you and I met. Right on. Yeah. <laughs> the rest, as they say. Is history? Yeah. So where were you living at uh, that time when you were when you were working for this company? Um, I lived in an area between Langley and Aldergrove. Uh, just off of the Fraser Highway. It was a rural setting, and my commute was uh, a five-minute drive to the boss's uh, yard or house. So uh, it wasn't the typical mainland uh, lifestyle for us. It was pretty easygoing. We had we rented a, a house on an acreage, and as I say, I had a five-minute commute, so I wasn't fighting traffic as so many people have to. So uh, that part was good. And uh, we we stayed in that area for probably 15 years and raised our two sons in that area uh, in a little pocket at 232nd Street and Fraser Highway. We moved to a couple of different locations in that time, but uh, we got involved a little bit with the community. Our son, our youngest son played minor hockey in Aldergrove, so we 
met many, many people through minor hockey. Pretty good place to live. Pretty good place for the kids to grow up. Cool. And so you said that you were working 50 or 55 hours a week uh, pretty consistently. That's a lot of hours to be putting in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. A lot of that was taken up with driving. The type of work we that we did would, took us anywhere from as far away as Whistler to the northwest and uh, Chilliwack to the east. So there's a lot of driving involved. Typically, it would be three or four hours of driving on every single day. So uh, it, that kind of pads the books a little, if you know what I mean. It, it's a lot easier to drive than to uh, work the equipment. And uh, your wife, actually, what is your wife's name? My wife, Deanna, she kept her last name. I, I always joke that she kept her last name because she doesn't know how to spell lead better. Uh, Deanna Everett, she she does graphic design. She said uh, her own business for a number of years. The last few years before retirement, she worked in a care facility as the art director. They had a art program for the residents that was from all accounts, just fabulous for those residents. It uh, really, it really spiced their lives. It made, it made a contribution to their lives. A lot of the people, of course, wouldn't be bothered with it, but those who did come to the art room two or three times a week, they just had uh, a reason to get up in the morning. They couldn't wait to get the doors open in the art room so they could go and do their project. So art, I think, is a a great outlet for many, many people. And for those seniors who are in a home like that, I mean, there's not a lot else to do there. It's television, meals, the occasional outing with, with the bus. But if you have something in that home that stirs them and encourages them to, to express themselves, it makes their lives so much richer. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Art's really important. Being able to uh, engage your mind and and spend that time thinking creatively, making things, and uh, I think that it's such a important component of uh, being a human being. Human being. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you said that uh, you two raised two sons while you were. Uh, we did. Yeah. yeah. Two boys who couldn't be more different from each other if you planned it. One of them hates hockey, uh, prefers individual sports, but not a hockey fan. And the other one is the one that we brought up through the minor hockey system in Aldergrove. Um, the oldest one is very outgoing and gregarious, traveled, has traveled the world over probably three times and speaks three different languages, four different languages, makes friends so easily wherever he goes. The other son is quite shy and introverted and keeps himself to himself, still plays ball hockey to this day, doesn't own a vehicle, a car. He drives a company truck. Uh, my other son is uh, the proud owner of a Mercedes sports car. Prior to that, it was a Camaro. He loves the uh, he loves the finer things. Okay. And I guess they've been over to visit, obviously. Oh, very much so, and they're they're partners with us in the in the house adventure. How do you mean? Well, we all uh, pooled our resources, uh, and we all pay equally for the mortgage. So it's uh, it's a place for them to invest and to call a second home. And 
with the you know the price of real estate in the lower mainland or Vancouver, it's doubtful that they'll ever own property there. It's just outrageous. Yeah, totally. So this this uh, buying the house here is also something that's going to be uh, for their future and for absolutely, absolutely a big part of it, I think. And I know that they've they feel connected to it. They feel part of this big thing together and it helps keep the family even closer that's really cool yeah yeah really it's really neat actually i'm hearing way more stories in the last couple years about families pooling their resources together and doing something that was more common in the past about having shared spaces and being able to buy property together in order to um, take care of each other and help each other out yeah yeah for sure I, i mean i know that Many of the stories are uh, of uh, parents now moving home to live with their kids. Yeah. Um, Well, that won't be for us because we're separate. We're in a different geographical location. But in a way, it is us because we're all in the home together. We're all investing in it together. So it's our home, not just mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, I was just curious about the experience of being here for just over a year. So you moved here in the, uh, the very early spring, so late February, and and you've had a full year, spring, summer, fall, winter. How has the experience been? How has it been different from what you expected? Uh, how has it been the same from what you expected? Uh, maybe you could fill us in on that. Well, I, I can't really say that I came here with a lot of expectations uh, other than, oh, I'm going to have so much time on my hands now. I'll get a boat and we'll spend some time on the water and oh, we'll start building the house right away. And and none of those have happened, largely because uh, you really don't have that much time on your hands. And uh, the process for starting the construction is way more uh, complicated than, than we thought, but we're proceeding with that. And uh, the boats that we have, the kayaks that we have now, are suiting our needs at at the time at the moment Uh, i don't see us getting a boat anytime in the near future until the boys are going to spend more time here with us the thing i found about living on pender was it's like going back in time in many respects because the lifestyle the pace of life is so so much more laid back the unfortunate part is Everything closes at four o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> even the gas station. Yeah, even the gas station and the lumber store. And the pub closes at 8 p.m. Yeah. Unheard of. <laughs> Unheard of. <laughs> Except on Pender Island. <laughs> It'll stay open in the summertime a little bit more. But And and I'm sure that the, the impact of the COVID has changed a lot of things around here. And I, hopefully they'll get back to so-called normal. Uh, certainly more and more social gatherings than, than the first year here. We've gone to see a few musical happenings. So I'm sure that that will gradually get back to normal. But I worry that the businesses are struggling so much with the need for workers that it'll really inhibit things like allowing the gas station to stay open till 7 or 8 allowing stores to stay open longer and restaurants to stay open longer, which I do miss. I miss that from uh, my previous life. But back to my first impressions or my first year in Pender, I sometimes catch myself 
as I'm driving home or driving through the island, I just want to pinch myself because it's like a dream. It's so perfect. It's so beautiful here and so welcoming and just plain nice. Yeah. And so you mentioned kayaking. So you and your wife were spending some time on the water. Did you do that before any sort of water activities or is that just brand new to the experience of being on Bender? No, that's brand new. When when we decided that we were going to buy the house, we we bought a couple kayaks and that's six or eight months in advance of moving here, it seemed like, and uh, didn't get them in the water until we got here. And uh, now we've explored a certain amount of the the waters around Pender and looking forward to more of it this summer. Uh, but it seems to be, well, maybe it's me, weather-related. It's just not pleasant to go out when it's cold and rainy. So the winters are kind of a write-off in that respect. Sure. But uh, the other thing... Uh, that goes hand in hand with the kayaks is the experiencing of nature of the island. There's so many trails, ocean access trails, that uh, it kind of blew me away to see how many spots a person can go on this island to just get out in nature, get to the ocean without really disturbing anybody. And that's the biggest thing that I find on Pender is just about wherever you go, you, you never find a crowd. You go to a beach, you're often the only person there. Yeah. So, and that's, we're really spoiled here in that respect. When I look back, life on the mainland, wherever you went, there was a crowd. And uh, that has a big effect on your outlook, I think. When you're there in nature by yourself or, you know, with a couple other people, Totally different from when, if you're in at the lake shore with hundreds of other people, you're you're focusing on it, thinking about other people or what they're doing or what their boombox is playing instead of ah, here I am in nature. Totally, yeah, yeah. I know, and it's funny though too, right? Because <laughs> my wife and I have been going for walks almost every night the last week, and most of the time this last week in particular, we haven't run into anybody and it's always the topic of a conversation at the end of the walk. Like, ah, oh, it was so great. We just had mm -hmm. that experience all to ourselves. And I think that as humans, it's something that we, uh, we value to have those moments, but then also we're social creatures as well too. So the idea of being able to communicate with other people is, uh, is, I agree. I think we, I think on all honesty, we have a greater inner desire to socialize with other people than we do to get away from people. Yes. But they're not mutually exclusive. When, you, when you've spent so much time socializing, you really enjoy the peace and quiet of being away from people too. Yeah, totally. Any spots on the kayak that you've uh, enjoyed more than others that really stand out to you? Like where, where do you usually launch your kayaks from? Mortimer Spit is our favorite. Uh, we have yet to launch them from Thieves Bay. I think that'll be the next one, just because of ease of access. Um, I did enjoy a trip we took from Port Washington, yeah, Port Wash, the docks there down, all the way down to Otter Bay and where the ferry terminal is. That was probably the best trip we've, we've done. I enjoyed that a lot. I haven't, haven't done the South Island or Trincomalee, but I think Trincomalee will be coming up pretty soon because on a recent uh, hiking adventure, we, we got down to the ocean. Uh, right across from Poets Cove, and realized, wow, this is a great place. We've got to got to bring the kayaks down here. This would be great. So, 
That'll be probably our next trip, I think. Nice. It sounds like Beaumont Marine Park is where you... No, it's nope. across from Beaumont. Oh. It's on the on Trincomalee, which is technically, right, the North Island. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a pretty good access point there where you can, well, maybe 50 yards away from the ocean, you can carry the kayaks down to a level okay. entry spot. Right. Yes. I guess carrying the kayaks all the way down to Beaumont. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long way to go. Yeah, not doing that. No. And so you mentioned earlier that uh, you were a prairie boy and that you grew up uh, in Alberta. What? Uh, born, and, born and raised in Calgary, but moved away in 1974. So I've spent more time here in BC now, so I can call myself a British Columbian, I think. Okay. When you grew up in Calgary, what, uh, what sort of memories do you have of that experience uh, being there? As a child, it got a newspaper route, deliver the morning newspaper in Calgary, which is, you know, it's kind of nice in the summer to get up in the morning and it's so quiet and nobody around and the sun's coming up and then winter comes around and it's 30 below and nobody's around and it's freezing and it's windy. And so that's one memory. Another memory is uh, in Calgary, living with people who boarded horses and I ended up owning a horse, uh, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. How come? Uh, a lot of responsibility and cost. And uh, I think maybe in Alberta it's fine because there are lots of places to ride, but out BC it's much, much less. There's so many fences and it's not as, uh, not as easy to take a horse out. But um, responsibility of a horse is, is enormous. Let's see. What else? Early days uh, in my construction career, <laughs> learning to run a bobcat for the first time. It took me quite a while, but uh, that was a big deal. That set me on my way to meeting people in the industry and teeing up with a fellow by the name of David Holmberg, who owned the bobcat dealership in Calgary. And he's the one that uh, encouraged me to move out to BC with him. So in 74, we both moved out here to Abbotsford, and he started a, another Bobcat dealership there. I worked with them there for uh, almost a year, I guess. And then uh, I bought a Bobcat from him and became one of the first owner-operators in B.C. February 1st, 1975. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that brings me to Abbotsford. Lived there for a number of years. Met my, met my wife there at a, at a Halloween dance where she and I won the best costume. <laughs> Gotta know, what were you wearing? <laughs> I was dressed as Buck Rogers, space cadet, and she was, well, I guess she was a space girl. There wasn't really any um, definition there. But she was there because her parents owned the banquet hall where the dance was, and that's where, that's where I met her. Okay, so so she was... Dressed also in some sort of futuristic space outfit? Very sexy futuristic space outfit, yeah. Okay, and so that appealed to the Buck Rogers in you. <laughs> that, that's interesting. So you guys met that night and then... Yeah, you met that night, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, like like every romance, you know, had its ups and downs. It was, it was pretty intense in the beginning. And uh, first thing, well, not the first thing, but shortly after we started getting involved, she said, oh, by the way, I'm going to the South Seas for six months on a trip by myself. So that was 
that could have been the end right there, but yeah. uh, we hung in, and when she came came back, we uh, started up again, and it all worked out. Do you guys have uh, photographs of that night at the Halloween dance? No. 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 Sadly. It's no. just a photograph in your mind. That's yeah, all. Man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, I. I actually always really like hearing how people met. That's a. That's oh yeah, interesting. I agree. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is always interesting. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we uh, got to this uh before we ended, which we're not we're not quite there yet. But uh, when we were talking on the phone and going over a couple things that you mm-hmm. mentioned that there yeah. is a uh, a large project that uh, you were involved with uh, about uh, constructing and destructing yeah. and rebuilding and yeah. all this. And uh, I think I, bl- this... I blame my wife. Okay. I blame my wife. All yeah. right. It's, uh, but I, I would love to you to uh, share that story with the people who so, are listening. So in about 1980, in Abbotsford, uh, they were they were going to bulldoze the, the old 1911, 1912 train station because it had been used uh, as a bottle depot for a number of years. CPR was going to sell the property, uh, ended up using it for a parking lot. And uh, they offered the sale of the building itself to the historical society, and they were very interested in it, but they couldn't come up with a plan or or money to move it. So my wife, whose mother and father owned a property in Abbotsford that was called Heritage Valley, agreed to take on the purchase, and I I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll move it. But also in 1980, there was a major recession, so my my business had a lot of uh, downturn, and so I had a lot of time on my hands. In the end, what had to be done was cut the building up into manageable sections, wall sections, roof sections, lift it onto a flat deck with a crane, and moved to their property for reassembly. The reason that that was the only way to go was difficult access to the property. Plus, this was the two-story building, so the cost of uh, lifting wires or uh, disconnecting power lines and whatnot and the move itself would have been prohibitive. So we moved the panels up, and over the course of the next few years, uh, reconstructed with the help of a lot of friends and a little bit of money, reconstructed the building on the property, and it became our first home. After we were married, we moved into the upstairs portion of the train station. We built it, uh, rebuilt it according to the original plans that we were able to secure, but we totally changed the upstairs portion, which was a 20 by 20 uh, living accommodations, sitting room, kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, just enough for the two of us. But everything else was kept to code and kept to uh, the original plans. We spent hours and hours scraping paint off a trim and fixing windows and I had to remanufacture pieces of siding to match the old siding that that had rotted away. Pretty big project, but so proud of it now, looking back on it. In the end, it became the operations office for the small resort called Heritage Valley, um, where we the office would book weddings for the banquet hall. Uh, we, there was also a, a tennis club and beautiful garden setting and a 29 site campsite uh, as a member of the coast-to-coast camping network. But the train station still stands there today, although the property is inactive. The people we sold it to chose not to continue the business. 
when you were telling that story, the first thing I thought of when you said that you were living in there was like, what was it like living in that space? It was it was very comfortable for the two of us. Um, the the inside the the living accommodations upstairs had vaulted ceilings, uh, skylights, very modern, rounded corners on the gyp rock. Just, oh yeah, you know, because that was the style, and uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Probably the only downside was it was a little close to work because at that time both my wife and I were involved with running the running the resort and living on site came with it a whole set of different problems but uh it was a situation where we were out in the country and uh probably 4 months of the year it was very very quiet there not much going on in the way of business and to live in the in the mountains like that was nice it's not dissimilar to Pender Island really hmm. I was thinking about the building itself as well, too, that, you know, the the amount of energy that moved through that building, it being a train station where people were flooding in and flooding out during the usage of it as it being a train station and then making that your home. Did you ever pick up on any energy like that or? No. Um, sadly, I was too involved with with so many other problems and things going on, running a business and and of course, then we had our first child, uh, and we lived in that train station for a year while Matthew was uh, was uh, new to the family. But when you think about the train station, we we here in this era don't really understand the importance of it because that was the center of the community in its day. Uh, people would come to the train station when they knew the five o'clock train was coming in just to see what was new. Who who was getting off, uh, see what was being delivered and to bring their goods for, you know, to send to market or whatever. So it really was the center of the community in its day. And uh, it's it's hard for us to understand how important that is because we have, in this age of the automobile, I think it's it's long gone. The only thing that's close here is in Pender Island is driftwood. Everybody ends up at driftwood sooner or later. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or the hardware store. <laughs> Maybe one day the hardware store will be uh, taken apart and reconstructed and someone will make it their home. And, well, and can't see that happen. <laughs> Neither can I. But uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a really uh, yeah interesting perspective. I have no idea what, uh, what that would be like, having a building like that, that being that meaningful hmm. um, to the community. Well, I think that, uh, again, as I said before, when you're in the thick of it, you don't, you don't get those feelings. Right. I have them now, now that it's in the past, but uh, you're so busy just living your life, you know, dealing with the little fires that crop up here and there, dealing with problems, uh, all the mundane myriad of details of life. You, you don't have time to sit and soak it all in, I don't think. At least that's my memory of it. Yeah, totally. Well, now that you're retired and you have time to soak it in, you've mentioned that getting out in nature and being more connected to nature is something you're you're spending time doing. Is there anything else that you are uh, in your spare time you're you're working at? No, um, most of my time is uh, spent with recovering from two or three days of, of work during the week. Okay, <laughs> that sounds pretty pitiful. But uh, yeah, now I work two days or three days back in the construction business. 
another two days or three days of the week or just puttering around the yard, getting ready for the next move, the next step in the process and enjoying being a homeowner again. Uh, it's a, it's a good feeling. And now, uh, that we can see just around the corner, the application for the building permit and the, the house going up. Uh, so a lot of my time is dream spent dreaming about that. Nice. And the application for the permit and the house going up is that you have a uh, smaller house that you're going to be adding onto. It's funny uh, that the house that we live in now is it was built originally as a garage, then renovated for a house slash cabin, and it's 20 by 20. And the living accommodations upstairs at the train station, 20 by 20. Yeah. So uh, it's back to the future. <laughs> Is that bringing back memories for you, or uh... it did? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, it did. And um, it's it's kind of nice to realize how little you can live with. Um, at first, it was a little tough getting used to the small space, but really, it's it's a little short of what we need. But it, you can make you can get by with that if there's just the two of you or one of you. But uh, I wouldn't recommend it for raising a family. Fair enough. No. That's uh, 400 square feet is a, is a little small. Yeah. Um, something else I'm asking people on this podcast as well, too, is that uh, being new to the island and spending a little bit of time here, just how they envision their experience unfolding on the island and maybe taking some of their skills that they have from the past and contributing those to uh, the island to sort of make it the best version of itself. Any ideas that you've had since you've been here as to how you want to um, have a bit of a role in the community or things that you want to participate in? Um, I, I don't really, I don't really think that I have anything to aim for or look forward to or, or contribute. But as I go through my life here, I can reflect and say, well, now I've met those people and that person there, and he and I had a conversation. And so I feel like I'm uh, just another worker ant in the colony, but I'm enjoying meeting people. And uh, I think that that's one of the benefits of having a job, whether it's a part-time job or even a, a volunteer job, is the fact that you get to rub shoulders with others and you get to socialize in the best possible way. Um, you get to talk about things that you're interested with the other people that you have in common with the other people on the job site. Uh, but you also, I I find I enjoy just the, the interaction at the at the supermarket or hardware store. It seems patently different from those interactions in a previous life on the mainland. I I can't really explain it. Yeah, because it is different. Uh, I think that this island has something special to it that allows those connections to happen in this particular place that don't happen in most other places. It it's it's hard to describe, but I I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I think the fact the time factor has a lot to do with it, and I thank BC BC ferries for that. You know what? You have time. You have a very concise definition of time. I don't have to rush to do this or do that because there's time. And it seems like everybody else has a lot of time on their hands. Enough time to stop and have a two or three minute conversation. Yeah. 
which is not the same thing on um, in the hustle bustle of the lower mainland. Uh, you, you just don't seem to have that time. Kind of a contradiction when I say the BC Ferries gives you that time, but it's it's all part of the big package. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting what you're saying about wanting to share connections with people. And because you're a really friendly guy, he likes to chat. And that's the reason we're actually doing this podcast is getting Mm -hmm. to work with you just a little bit of poet. So I was like, oh, Dave's got interesting things to talk about. And you wanted to engage in conversation. And you're a great conversationalist. And you're somebody who likes to uh, share and listen. And um, I think that's a wonderful contribution to make to our, our small island, our community, because being someone who's open and a listener and a good communicator is uh, something of great value. High praise. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've reached the end of this journey. But uh, before we sign off here, is there anything else that you want to share with the people of Pender Island and uh, other people who might be listening? I, I think that uh, the people on Pender should always take a minute to think and thank whatever their belief may be that they that they live in such a wonderful place and that the most important thing is acceptance of others because there's an awful lot of vitriol on places like the Pender Forum although I this is what I've heard <laughs> I'm not a forum guy but um, I, I think by and large everybody on the island is very accepting and uh i hope it continues that way there's there there is kind of a us against them mentality here when it comes to people who consider themselves penderites against people who come as a part-time uh occupant whether it's a vacation home or a second home or just come for the tourists that come from the weekend uh, i think we all have to just back off a little bit and accept people for who they are and uh, not judge. Yeah. We're all, we're all human beings having this shared experience. Yeah. All right. Well, there's one more thing left to say, and that's the title of this podcast, and it's Welcome Home. Welcome Home. Thank you. All right. Well, once again, thank you to David for doing that interview, and thank you for listening. It's been really fun to get to meet some of the new people moving to the island here and getting to see what their experiences are like and and how they're integrating themselves into the community. I think I have at least one more of these coming up and then I will be doing full-length podcasts again. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to Ben McConkie for providing the theme music for this podcast. And until next time.